Good morning, church. Good morning, Whitestone. It is such a joy and a privilege uh, to be with you again today. My wife and I and son, we just got back from a family vacation in North Carolina. Uh, awesome time, uh, beautiful sun out there. And, and I appreciate you guys noticing because I did come back with a tent. I don't know if you guys, uh, I feel like I have to say that, you know. <laughs> But uh, I just want to, you know, thank our lead pastors for their servant leadership. Um, you know, thank the elders for how they serve here. It, it's remarkable the, uh, the servant leadership that's demonstrated here at, at Whitestone. And I also wanted to thank the church in particular for your prayers for Haiti, for the people of Haiti and my friends and family down in Haiti now. And you guys all aware of what's going on you know with the recent uh, assassination of the president and uh, and it's not just that you know the country of Haiti is going through so much more than just the assassination of our president so thank you so much for all your prayers and words of encouragement uh, they're really felt Romans chapter 11 verses 33 through 36 Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Or who has been a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever amen let's pray heavenly father we are grateful for your love for the gospel we're grateful for your son jesus christ we're grateful for the forgiveness of our sins we're grateful and humbled for the opportunity to share your word today and to meditate on your word together. Father, I pray that you would speak through me today because by my own strengths and abilities, words will just come out of my mouth, but they will have no power. Father, I pray that you would seize me by the Holy Spirit, that I would say the things that you want me to say and, and how you want me to say them. May the power of the Holy Spirit be evident in our midst today. And we pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Um, just last month, I celebrated my 29th birthday on June 15th. Um, one of my friends and mentor called me and, on my birthday 
And he just called to say happy birthday, just to catch up with me. His name's Alec. And um, he told me, Colby, you know how we always talk about personal development? We always talk about how do we add more value to ourselves daily so that we can become better fathers, better uh, people for our communities, more valuable for our churches, for our companies, and all of that stuff. We, we, we always talk about how do we know more, how do we gain more knowledge, how do we read more books, how do we just get more and, and more so that we can become better and, and better people. He, he said, you know, all those things are good, personal development, holistic personal development. Those are good things that we're talking about here. But he said that as you start this new year, I want you to focus on something else. Instead of daily increase, I want you to start focusing on daily decrease. And immediately when he said it, I interrupted him. I said, Alec, that's good, man. That's really good. Because we're so pervaded by, you know, the idea, the notion that in order to be a, a better person, in order to experience more joy, we need to know more. In order to become more valuable, we need to gain more, accumulate more, right? And, and we don't have to go far to realize that this is the wisdom of the world, right? That we need to acquire more, to accumulate more, because that's how we gain value. That's how we become more valuable. And somehow this sentiment has infiltrated into the church. We think that the more we know, the more knowledge we acquire in terms of information, the more, the better we'll become. And when he said that, I realized at that moment that I was confusing the accumulation of information or knowledge for wisdom. And I would suggest today that the accumulation or the acquisition of information is not to be confused with wisdom. I'll even go further to suggest that the accumulation and the acquisition of knowledge might be a hindrance to true wisdom. The more we know doesn't mean the wiser we become. And so today, I want us to talk about two things. Our conversation today will revolve around two things. The wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God. So let's look at James chapter 3. Verses 13 through 17. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Verse 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all, what? Pure. It's 
peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Now, I, I want us to look at here the characteristics of those two kinds of wisdom, those two value systems here. So the wisdom of the world is earthly, verse 15. It's unspiritual. It's demonic. The wisdom of the world is fundamentally motivated by selfish ambition. It's about self-interest, right? It's about self-promotion, self-elevation. How do I cl climb the ladder? It's about marketing myself out there to make myself look great. It's about moving forward, self-interest, self-ambition. Those things characterize the wisdom of the world. And we wonder why there's so much chaos and disorder in the world. The result of those things, of the wisdom of the world, are chaos and disorder. The reason there's so much chaos and disorder is because we're all human beings. We're motivated by selfish ambition. We're motivated by selfish interest. If we're all pursuing our selfish ambitions, then we don't have to wonder why that leads to chaos and disorder. That's just a natural result of a world motivated by selfish ambition. 16, where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But in contrast with the wisdom of the world, that is characteristically unspiritual, demonic, and earthly, in contrast with that, verse 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Of course, we talk about peace, as, you know, the human beings, we talk about peace. We have huge international organizations aiming for peace, right? We talk about it, but we don't have to go too deep to realize that it's all about self-interest, that the peace that we project, right, the aim, we're aiming for peace, but that's disguised by selfish ambition. The motivation is fundamentally selfish ambition. But the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of God is different. It's pure. It's peace-loving. It's considerate. It's submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Now, our focus today will not really be on the characteristics of those two worlds. I just wanted to show you how those two worlds are fundamentally opposed to each other. They're diametrically opposed to each other. But our conversation today will be more focused on what constitutes the wisdom of God. It's going to be about the essence of the wisdom of God, right? We know that the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the world are diametrically opposed. They're not the same. They're motivated by completely different things. But let's look at what constitutes the essence of the wisdom of God. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. says, if I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, 
I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Because love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now again, we see here that the wisdom of the world, that we can possess all knowledge that we can, right? The accumulation and the acquisition of knowledge that is motivated by selfish ambition is nothing. That's what it says here. Even if I have a faith that can move mountains, I can speak in all those different languages, I can fathom, decipher all the mysteries and all knowledge. If that knowledge isn't motivated by love, it is nothing. That's more of the characteristics of the two value systems here, the two kinds of wisdom. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 and 31 real quick. And that's where we'll spend the most of our time this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 31. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. Oh, give me one moment here, let me see. Sorry, I'm in Romans right now. I meant to look at 1 Corinthians. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 31. For the message of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person, verse 20, where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For through its wisdom, the world did not, for the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Verse 25, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential, not many were of noble birth. 
But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him, verse 30, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now, the message of the cross, meaning namely the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is foolishness to the natural man. By our own strengths and abilities, we are unable to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. To the Jews that Paul was addressing here, the Jews were waiting for a Messiah that would come and lead them in battle and give them military and political victory. That's, what, that's who they were waiting for, a strong and mighty Messiah that would come and conquer for them. But that Messiah came and was nailed on a cross. That's foolish. It was foolish to them. They couldn't understand why the Messiah would come and just get nailed on a cross. That's not the Messiah they have been awaiting. That's foolish. The message of the cross was foolish to them. The message of the cross is still foolish to the natural man today. We are unable by our own strengths to intellectually decipher the message of the gospel. It doesn't make sense to us naturally. But the message of the cross to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And I want us to look at verse 25 here, because we're talking about what constitutes the wisdom of God here, right? We're talking about the essence of the wisdom of God. Verse 24 says, But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God isn't bits and pieces of information that we acquire and accumulate so we can get wiser and better and become better people. This isn't the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is the person of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is the essence of the wisdom of God. He is the personification of the wisdom of God. He is the wisdom of God. To have Jesus and to grow in the knowledge of Jesus is the wisdom, is what constitutes true godly wisdom. But to the Jews and the Greeks, the message of the cross was foolishness. To the Greeks, they couldn't believe that a reputable, no reputable person would be nailed on a cross. That is foolish to the Greeks. But I love verse 25 here. It says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. What is perceived as foolish, as foolishness, God uses to save those who believe. The message of the cross is considered foolishness, but God has used that message to save people like you and me. 
For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. What is perceived as weakness, God has used to save me and you. A Savior being nailed on a cross is perceived as weakness. That is weak, but that is the message that God has used to save us and to bring about our reconciliation with himself. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Again, the gospel in our days doesn't make sense to the natural men. By our own strengths and abilities and intellect, we cannot understand the gospel. We cannot gain the wisdom of God by our own strengths and abilities because the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God are absolutely opposed to each other. They're motivated by completely different things. They're not the same. The essence of the wisdom of God is Christ himself. Now, how is the wisdom of God revealed, right? We're talking about Jesus being the personification of the wisdom of God, but how do we get wisdom? How is the wisdom of God revealed in his word? Let's go down to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to read from verse 1 to verse 16 here. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, that's Paul talking to the uh, Corinthian believers. Uh, the Corinthian church's, church was characterized by factionalism. There was a lot of divisions in the church and a lot of spiritual immaturity. So Paul is talking to them, reprimanding them, and correcting some of their theology. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, right? When I came to you, I didn't try to intellectually convince you, right? I didn't use persuasive words, oratory skills to try to persuade you here into believing in the gospel. I didn't use none of that. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Verse 3, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We don't persuade natural men with, with wise words, with intellectualism, with oratory skills, because by our own strengths and intellect and abilities, we are unable to understand the gospel. But Paul is talking about presenting the gospel here, not with human wisdom, not with eloquence, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Because verse 6 we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Verse 7, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden 
and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers understood it, understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, verse 9, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit, verse 10. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. For what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. Now notice that the wisdom of God is revealed only by the Spirit of God. The only way that you and I understand, the only reason that we understand the gospel here, if you do, the only reason that we get the gospel, that we get salvation, is because God has poured out His Spirit on us. Because without the Holy Spirit of God, we cannot understand the gospel. It wouldn't make sense to us. We'd be like the Jews and the Greeks, like the natural men of the day. It wouldn't make sense to us at all. The only reason it makes sense to us is because God, in his mercy and grace, has given us the spirit of God by which he has revealed himself to us. And if we understand the gospel today, we're saved. We ought to be grateful that God has given us the Holy Spirit and we ought to be in deep prayer for the natural people around us so that God would do the same, would pour out his spirit on them and reveal himself to them by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the only way that we know the gospel, that it makes sense to us, is because God has given us his spirit. For what we've received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, verse 13. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught us by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person, verse 14, without the Spirit, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they're only discerned through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We're grateful today that God has freely given us his spirit. We're grateful today that the gospel makes sense to us. We're grateful today to know and to embrace the fact that we're broken sinners and in need of a savior. We're grateful that Jesus has made a way for us to reconcile with himself. But the only reason we are able to perceive that truth is because the Holy Spirit of God inhabits us. And for that, we're grateful. So, to those who have not accepted the gospel, or to those who struggle 
believing the gospel. Uh, how do we get wisdom today to those who want to be wise, to get godly wisdom, to understand the mystery of God? We understand that we're unable to do so without the Holy Spirit of God. The first thing that we need to do is to humbly accept the fact that we need the Spirit of God in order to understand the things that are of God, the mystery of God. The way to wisdom starts with humility. And I'll invite you to turn to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, and then we'll read verse 10 as well. It says, Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point of the city. Now, wisdom has made an invitation to all of us. Wisdom has already set up the tables. Wisdom is ready, and the invitation has been extended to everyone. Wisdom is calling from the highest point of the city. Verse 4, let all who are simple come to my house. Now, this invitation is free. It's given to everybody. But we need to accept that invitation. It starts with humility, with a humble heart, accepting the fact that we don't have the Spirit of God, that we're not wise, that there's no way that we're able to understand the mystery of God without the Spirit of God. It starts with humility. But then the second thing here would be to accept the invitation. Wisdom is calling. And so the only thing that we can do, we can either accept the invitation or reject the invitation. And so to those who don't know Christ, to those who struggle to understand the gospel, we're inviting you to start with humility and also to consider receiving and accepting that free invitation from wisdom. And the last thing would be to walk in the way of wisdom. Because wisdom doesn't mean just to have Jesus, but it's also to grow in the knowledge of Jesus. Let's, let's, let's continue to read here. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 1 through 6, we're in verse 5. Come and eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Verse 6, leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. So the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God are two different things. They're diametrically opposed to each other. The wisdom of the world is motivated by selfish ambition, by self-interest, self-promotion. It's about me climbing the ladder. But the wisdom of God is motivated by love. It's pure. It's sincere. And it leads to righteousness. The wisdom of the world leads to chaos and disorder and ultimately destruction. But the wisdom of God leads to righteousness and ultimately to glorification. The human mind, by its natural abilities and intellect, 
is not able to decipher the mystery of God, the gospel of grace and salvation. We're grateful again that we have the Holy Spirit of God. We glorify him for that. And we pray for those who don't have the Spirit of God, that God would reveal himself to them, that we would be faithful in terms of planting seeds, in terms of sharing the gospel with those who don't know Christ, that they might come to the knowledge of the true God, so they might come and receive wisdom that will lead them to righteousness. And so as we close out today, as we talk about the wisdom of God being motivated by self-denial, by love, Jesus is the one who has demonstrated the strongest self-denial. And we'll read that here in Philippians chapter 2. I'll show you exactly how Jesus demonstrated the strongest self-denial. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2 here, verse 6 through 11, as we close out. Let's start from verse 3, actually. Philippians 2, verse 3 to 11. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Jesus was God himself. He was equal with God, but instead of using that to his own advantage, he denied himself. He became man. He chose to come down and took on human flesh. Rather, he made himself, verse 7, nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the perfect demonstration here of what it means to deny ourselves and live for God and pursue righteousness. This is the culmination of the wisdom of God here. Jesus taking on human flesh, dying on a cross, foolishness to the world, to save us, to bring about our reconciliation with himself. This is the wisdom of God here. And as believers, as disciples, we're called to imitate Christ and picking up our cross daily and dying to ourselves daily, dying to self-interest daily, dying to selfish ambition, and living for him. This is the wisdom of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for revealing to us 
the mystery of the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't deserve your spirit this morning, Father. We don't deserve that free gift of salvation. We recognize our failure, our weakness this morning, God, and we're grateful that you've given us the spirit of God, your spirit by which we are able to understand the gospel. And Father, we pray that we would continue to grow in knowledge of you, that we would continue to grow in your wisdom. We pray, Father God, that that would be a source of motivation for us, that we would be faithful in sharing the gospel and making disciples and praying fervently for the world the people that you love so dearly that you sent your son to die for them. We pray, Father, that you would fill us with your wisdom. We pray, Father, that you would satisfy us this morning. You are our greatest source of satisfaction. And Father, we pray that you fill us up with your wisdom that we not only be satisfied where we are right now, but that we have a hunger to continue to grow in you because you are infinitely wise, infinitely beautiful, infinitely marvelous. We thank you, Father. We love you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name.